don't give it like a the podcast platform of the finalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, making films, making myth with Camille Lacadé. Today, I receive uh, Camille Lacadé, a very dear friend of mine since we we started to study together a long time ago. <laughs> And uh, we are at the cafe of the Pompidou Center, hence uh, the noise around, but that uh, gives us a very public context. Uh, Camille, hello. Hello. Uh, so today's going to be a pretty special podcast, as usual, when it is with you. <laughs> because we actually did not prepare it and we might uh, just the topic of the podcast may be us wondering what we should talk about on this podcast so what are we talking about um, what to talk about here I, well I'm here to make a film first mm. of all that's why we're meeting now I'm here to make a f short film of a small structure that unfolds And that's very technical, but <laughs> I was wondering, coming here in the train, okay, what, am I here just to make a film, take a tripod and put a camera on top and film the transformation? I don't think so. So I think today we're going to make the film together. Okay. So we need to make the scenario. Great, I'm I can tell glad. you more about the, <laughs> the piece, but we have what? We're filming at 6.30, it's 5.00. Yes. So we have one hour, let's say, because after we have to set up. So we so have one hour story. to figure out <laughs> not only do. what we're talking about, <laughs> but then what we're going to do exactly. in one hour when we'll be filming. Okay, so in which context are we filming? Maybe we should say that. Um, well, it's an exhibition yes. by uh, Pierre Wig. Wig, yes. the French artist. It's a retrospective, whatever that means, because he's still alive huh, and producing. <laughs> And I've been here yeah, one week only, ago. Only very few people get to have their own retrospective while being still pretty young, even, we might say. Yeah. Ah. And here, if you need a proof There that we are at the Pompidou Center, <laughs> you get one. Back to Pierre Wig, Pierre Wig's exhibition at Pompidou Center. So within this exhibition, there are many, well, there are many pieces. One of them is one uh, we did with François Roche. Mm -hmm. It's a project that they started a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago. It's about, if I'm right, huh? because I was not there yet, but it's about um, creating a sort of ritual within a community. It's an American village. In the, in the States and Pierre Rigg made a film there he wanted to uh, how could you say that to instigate um, a ritual a ceremony a formal ceremony so that every year the people would gather in a specific place and celebrate but there is no, nothing particular to celebrate it's just to create this uh, act of a ceremony mm -hmm. And so they imagined the building that would then open 
only on a specific date at a specific time. And um, they, so they planned this building. I think they, they never made it, constructed it, but it's still in project. Okay. And um, the model now I'm going to film is a model of this building. And so what it is now, it's um, a metallic wire, mm -hmm. but it's memory, uh, okay. memory form yeah. uh, alloy. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it looks like a wire, yeah. <laughs> really. But we gave it a shape, and and it will, I mean, it will become this shape again. So every day at 6:30, from a sort of flat, squeezed uh, ball of metallic wire, mm -hmm. it unfolds, and then you have this shape yeah. that we made, which is uh, three-dimensional. Yeah, three-dimensional and occupy the space. So we should really not get late for the 6:30. Yeah. Daily ex expansion of the building. Well, and I suppose that I can I can now do what I was probably supposed to do a little bit earlier. But uh, as I said, today might be a, a bit of a special format. I might be able to introduce what uh, what work you've been doing in the past two years, uh, along with your partner Francois Roche and uh, and other and other uh, collaborators. I'm thinking of uh, sometimes. Uh, Stefan Heinrich, sometimes uh, Ezio Blasetti, but um, but you you are the the core of those projects that are at the perfect balance between film <coughs> filmmaking and architecture, and you've been you've been uh, creating a certain amount of films, I suppose always around from 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So there's been one. There's been one in India involving a sort of uh, mysterious monolith uh, um, that uh, gathers uh, that gathers uh, the, the the antagonist antagonism of a of a of a village toward uh, a young wise uh, an old wise man collecting Sanskrit books. Uh, there's been another one done in Bangkok where you're where you're based mostly, um, where you would uh, even play yourself, as I saw uh, the role of a the role of a very rational-minded scientist that uh, do not accept to understand the, the forces of their of the city of Bangkok and and it's. Uh, It's uh, social mixity and it's uh, it's urban anomalies. And uh, what else have you done? One one in Crete. One in Crete, but it's not. I mean, it's shot, but it's not edited, so I oh. I can't say that it's done. Okay. And and the way I've been talking about it so far maybe did not imply as much as it should the fact that each time there is a sort of. Uh, uh, what we might call architecture uh, that has been designed specifically for the film and that that is usually the main character of the movie and but that is never really shown as an understandable uh, categorizable object artifact but rather uh, a sort of production of the forces of a place is that right yes Well, the forces not of the place; it could be also of the of the minds. Okay. That's how I see it. I mean, 
more than of the place. It's, physically, it's, it is like that. That's why it's interesting because it's not only a props for a film. Mm. It's also a, a, an object or a piece but that has a life yeah. uh, which belongs remains, to the right? place yeah, and yeah. stays there and then transforms and he's interpreted again. again. And it's, so, so in a way then it comes from the place in this sense but in the film it's, it's more a manifestation of the uh, a state of mind mm-hmm. or um, uh, the trouble of the character or completes uh, his madness like in the one in Bangkok it's and now it's it's an uh, indoor garden <laughs> oh okay. yeah it was a sort of butchery and now it's a small garden well we talked about three of the movies so what is the fourth one yeah there's one from Greece which so it's not uh, edited it's okay. being edited now and yeah. it's and editing is very much obviously changing the way you might yeah, no, think completely. the story would be yeah. even when you so the film in Crete it's, it's, uh, it's based on the story of Ariadne yeah. and we decided to take Ariadne um, when she had the chance to be a lesbian <laughs> that is between uh, Tizius and and uh, Dionysos Okay. Not that she's a lesbian, but uh, she, it's the only time when she's not trapped between uh, men because well, she was okay. She was the daughter of the king. Yeah, she you might want a, to tell the story because yeah. I, I know the thread. I know her thread, but that's all I know about her. So, so she, well, she, she was the daughter of the king Minos. Yes. In Crete, so she was uh, half sister of the Minotaur, even though she's never presented that way, but. I mean, biologically, she is. And, and so far, well, I don't know of her past story, but that's it. That's what she's introduced. But then when... Um, well, you know the story of the Minotaur. Yes. He's trapped in the labyrinth. And there's a deal with the Athenians that they can send uh, each year... I don't know if it's each year. It depends on the version. But a sort of small army of young men uh, to try to kill the Minotaur. And Tizius girls, and then yeah, Tizius, which is the, who is the son of the king of Athens, so he's <coughs> very sure of himself. He goes and he's really determined to kill the Minotaur. And that's when you arrive there, he has to find a way to be sure that he can, he's going to kill the Minotaur, yeah. and he meets the Minotaur uh, is in the middle of the Didalian, yeah, of the Didalian labyrinth. Well, the interesting thing in the story actually is that Didalus who created this labyrinth to jail the Minotaur was the one who also invented a wooden cow so that um, Minos, the king Minos' wife, could mate with a bull. So the same architect, he was more an artisan, but everybody calls him an architect, he's responsible, I mean, somehow he's responsible, for the creation of the Minotaur and then for the jailing of the Minotaur and afterwards for the killing of the Minotaur <laughs> again, I mean, it's endless every time he makes something he has to make something else for the, for the solve, solving of the first problem so when um, Tizius arrives he asks um, I think now Ariane Ariane falls in love with him okay. basically and so she wants to help him and she goes to Dedalus to learn the secret of the labyrinth 
he gives her this uh, trick of this, this thread, which has been studied by Pierre Rosenstiel, you know, the mathematician, French mathematician, but the other way around, saying that the, la- the thread is not to, to go out of the labyrinth, it's more to find the way through the labyrinth and to reach the Minotaur. So he developed a theory which is used in computation of how to use the thread to actually walk your way inside hmm. the labyrinth. It's very interesting, very beautiful uh, reversing of the, of the myths. So where was I? So Tizius gets this thread uh, trick, which is never really explained in the myth, kills the Minotaur, and then he can exit the labyrinth, and he goes away with Ariane and her sister. And actually he's... So he pretended all this time uh, to be in love with Ariane and to be with her to get the solution. But he's actually apparently in love with her sister, not her. And they uh, make the first stop on their way back to Athens because then she betrays her father, basically. She killed, she helped to kill her half-brother. She betrays her father. She leaves. And on that island, which is called Naxos, he abandons her. She wakes up in the morning and she sees the boat sailing away and she's alone in this island. That's where... Um, I mean, that's, that's where, where we take her. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we take her. But you have to know that after that, she will find again Dionysus. Yeah. She was somehow related to Dionysus before. I mean, they had a sort of love story, and he's very much in love with her. And after he comes, and they have uh, something like 10 children together. Okay. So she becomes a house, uh, housewife, desperate housewife from Naxos, who is an <laughs> alcoholic. But in between that... Uh, pretendingly she writes a love letter to Tizius saying that she wants love to go away from her and, uh, but she has this moment of of uh, I mean of freedom and of complete perdition and that's where we, we that's from what we develop the story so in our film we have two two how can I say two sides or two um, aspects of her psychology and also, of, I mean, yeah, the two ways, uh, not the two ways, but the two ways that she could, she could react after that. One of them, uh, in one of them, she's mad, and it's uh, shot in a contemporary Crete. But contemporary because we, shoot, we were shooting in a place which exists today, and she's dressed as a, a sort of, not a slut, but a... Volga girl from the Mediterranean who goes out a lot with a uh, short dress and high heels and but it's it's in a place it's in a tannery okay where they make leather where, where they make leather where they uh, dye leather and they cut leather and it's only three of them which still remain today the, all the other ones have clothes and so it's today, but it feels like it was 100 years ago. So not a very old machine that they have to... to and this is purely coincidental. Huh? We found this place when we were there, and we said, okay, there is a parallel, so we, we make with the robots. On the other part of Ariane, she is a mythic creature. We don't know if it's future or past. Mm-hmm. She's living in the structure that we built. Um, she's enveloping... Like embracing a tree made from ceramic, made from her own um, mixing, malaxing, and peeing on the clay, and then transformed by the robots to build 
the structure, so she lives in this sort of uh, cycle, endless repetition of the same action every day, waking up, drinking the sap from the tree, singing to the robot, uh, massaging the clay, making the brick, and continuing this, this thread. So this one, she still has a thread, the line, but that's the only thing she got, actually. She has no other thing, she just continues on the line without questioning. And the other one is completely lost. She's looking for her brother, for her father, for her lover, every man she meets, and she doesn't know where she is, where to go. So we have these two stories that we shot in parallel with the same actress. Yeah, and I think uh, talking about a casting might stress the importance on what I was mentioning earlier, which is that uh, well, once again, like it is, it is known from various peoples that uh, you and Francois Roche come from a, uh, what we would call an architectural background, but mm. re but really, <laughs> you, really you passed you pass the <laughs> yeah. you, you pass the line towards the, the cinematographic production, and and uh, you you're doing that in a you're doing that in a complete different way than what, what we've been seeing in the past with various other people coming from architecture and, and making films, um, me included at some point, but that's another story that I'm quite not ready to talk about. <laughs> uh, Which film? Well, that's, again, that's... <laughs> no, no, don't talk about it. <laughs> I, it seems it seems to be like 90% of what a movie really is about you know, in how it can go one way or another. Well, yeah, well, no, that's how it can go one way or another, but, I mean, you can have... Because at the beginning, that's what I saw, there's really all this... Also, the... I mean, completely the meaning of your film, the political implications, everything you transform completely with the editing, the, with the sound that you put... The, but actually, when you shoot, and it's even more sensible, I think. When you shoot, the angle of view, the, the light you choose. I mean, all these things which are more sensible. Than, so editing is more um, intellectual process, in a way. The shooting, I mean, it's also a sensible process. But the, in the shooting, there's something that also you cannot go back. You do it, it's happening there. And if you capture a, a moment or something that happens, it's... It's yeah. It's um, some films are made with one single shot. Was well, that? I, I really so admire people who are able to. But so like Herzog, I imagine it's, it's a bricoleur film. Yeah. He always has. Uh, it seems to me an intention of what he wants to say, or what he wants to show, and how he wants to show it. And then, no matter the media, no matter the. No matter if work, he's doing a documentary or yeah. a fiction. Film. I almost feel him. Malaxing the, the media, like putting it like a sculpture together. And he never loses this. I mean, he did uh, pretty bad films too, but he did really, really good documentaries. Werner Herzog. Um, but what, what about you when you film? What are, what are the choices that you make that tremendously change the way the film operates mm. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, one of the things that I'm amazed in the movie you you make you make is for example those um, those close shots of material textures like 
there's some, mm. especially in the one you made in India, there's a, a very delicate care to show this uh, texture of the rock, of the mud, of the of the rain, the, the dirty water of the rain. Uh, everything is shown in um, in very cl close. Um, uh, close shots and I think it resonates for me in some some sort of what I would call materi materialist manifesto but I, I'm not sure if that's the way you, you're thinking about it so uh, maybe you can tell us a bit more about those shots in particular if you if you want something I, I definitely want to explore is how uh, to me it's, it always has to be linked to a situation of a character or to and it's like uh, something that you live yourself in your life like you have uh, so, okay. so you have an emotion and somehow a material next to you a texture something you touch or you see the light will reflect this emotion or will trans transport it somewhere else or transform it and so I'm really really interested in that and being able to show the um I mean, what we what we project in these things, like what we project in small deterioration or in a stain or in a, or in a, uh, well, yeah, in, but, but a little bump, or yeah, in bumps and in, but it's a moment of tension. I think it's and it's a moment of tension if it's brought in in the story. Oh, it could be okay, an introduction to a story, but it has to be in. In parallel or in reflection, too. But something I also noticed is I, I actually, and that's my fault, I, in the examples I gave, I gave only uh, what we would call probably erroneously uh, uh, a natural elements, but you do the same for the human skin as well. Mm. And to me, I see it as a, I see it as an understanding of matter as matter and not matter as, on the one hand, something that is related to humans and something related to non-humans and uh, it's it's well anyway maybe that'd be interesting I, I try to sum up uh, very way too briefly what this this particular film in India was about but maybe maybe you could tell us the story of this film as well I, I think that's yeah, that's great to hear it from you. So it's a story. It's a story of a, a man in a village, in a Hindu village, very religious village, but religious in a in a, in a dumb way, if I can say. I mean, superstitious. I mean, Hinduism has a lot of very interesting texts at the origin, very interesting philosophies that developed from that. And, but like any religion, there is also some dogma or some mm -hmm. principle that you, people end up following because they are born in this religion and they repeat this action. So this village is very superstitious you know, and it's clearly a religious icon of the country, so it has to remain. It's, uh, it's in Karnataka, right? It's in Karnataka, yeah. it's called Gokarna. And so you have the caste with the Brahmin, which are at the top of everything. and 
most of them, not all of them, but uh, what they do is uh, they make money by doing puja, so by relying on the superstition of the people who get married or get a new house or whatever big action or uh, even they have in their life, they need to make a puja. Puja is a, a ritual, uh, a religious ritual, mm. a small ceremony, and then depending on the money, on what you can afford, you have you can offer coconuts or you would have a big party with a lot of uh, food and you can invite the entire village and it's supposed to bring you luck, good luck. And uh, so it's a business, basically. <laughs> and this, uh, there's one man in this village who is also from the Brahmin caste but was never interested in money. Or in, he was interested in books from um, very young age he collected books he never bought one actually because he's not rich but he was offered and then he trade and every time he did a job he exchanged it for books started to write to publishers uh, in India and then all over the world to ex expose his project his project was to make a library in this village and though he received a lot of publications for free and then he had a small publicity like this and um, people came to see him and offered books but anyway he, he made this this collection in this library which is quite huge now and there's there was starting 50, to be a conflict 50, it's uh, 70,000 books in 36 yeah. different languages it's a beautiful collection so very ancient uh, text also in Sanskrit mm -hmm. on, on palm leaves and, but there began to be a problem with the village because it, he was he's a man who asked he actually made a book himself he doesn't write but he asked a question to political figures of his country but not also scientists he asked Nehru he asked other important men of India uh, what is the meaning of life for them it's a very simple question in a way, but I mean, it's very it? difficult. No, I mean, <laughs> you could say it's a stupid question, but it's not. It's very, it's beautiful to see also depending on each um, uh, man, I mean, depending on their, not their job, but their involvement in yeah. life, what they were doing. They really answer the question as, okay, what meaning they gave to life, what they made with their lives in order to give it meaning. So, but this kind of questions, it's not um, very good for keeping in place superstition and especially bringing new books and new ideas. He has, his collection is a lot on religion, theology, which is uh, and uh, philosophy, which is very similar in India. Anyway, but there is also psychology and, and literature, poetry, and the, so the conflicts uh, began with the village. So far, that they uh, they built the wall in his house to make it as small as possible, so he could not live there with his family. So they built literally a brick wall, concrete bricks, very ugly, and you could see the house divided in two with this wall. And he had to move out into a, in a new building that uh, people helped him to build. People from outside of the village, foreigners to build a library, to host all his collection. He's now living there, so it's outside of the village, a little bit, on the plateau, above the village. And 
what we did then we we made a film around him around the story to to not only the film but the structure to create a place where this I mean this meeting or this uh, this break this cashier mm-hmm. uh, could materialize and then maybe they could meet again there or they could but to manifest this this uh, division they had mm. a crystallization of yeah. the antagonism right? yeah somehow and it's with um, some uh, so we made it with a local stone the laterite the sculpted uh, on location and with very glass. black one right yeah very dark mm. and uh, glass which are another recipient for his tears when he's crying. And at the end of the film, you see the villagers coming. They come from the village because this structure is in between the village and his house. And they come down from the village, I mean up, actually, and see him inside this, this structure. And, but they stop and they just look at him and it's raining very hard. And there is this, this confrontation, but not uh, not aggressive or anything. Just a, a gap between two worlds that may or may not reconcile. We don't know. That. So, I mean, the film is about that. It became about that when we were doing it. But now there is also this structure there, which was for real. Um, uh, Arousing the curiosity of the villagers, and they would come, so they would come near the library, not in yet, but near. Got the to, viper of yeah. Oz here, and all the rats. Yeah. To yeah, to, to like, what is the structure here? So they would come every morning, and and they can also some of the villagers thought it's it's, it's, um, it's something from the demon. They call it the temple of the demon. They have temples for the gods. No, it's a temple of the demon. They are, I mean, the religion is still alive, so they could reintegrate, reinterpret anything that comes yeah. into a new um, artifact of religion. And uh, if I remember correctly, this building is um, is moving, isn't it? It's moving. Well, there's, uh, there's some kind of mechanical... Uh, uh, some mechanical... Uh, Operation no, it's the way it was made. It's a robot. It is oh, the shape of the nice defense. thank you very much for uh, this uh, working session record- recorded. <laughs> And uh, good luck for all your future movies. Uh, we, I think many of us look forward to seeing them. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.